Hi, this is Jeff. And this is Mariana. And we're professional storytellers who love books. Welcome to Fiction Friends. Where we take a deep dive into the most popular fiction titles in all of literature. From classic reads and old-time favorites. To modern romance and contemporary thrillers. Join us as we discover new ways to read, look at, and talk about books. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you stay up to date with every new release. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. And today we chose The Family Upstairs by Lisa Jewell a suspense novel that will make you mad while starting to question how people can be too gullible. The book is about a girl who discovers on her 25th birthday that she's an heir to a mansion and finds out about her parents' identity. 25 years before, in that same place, the police discovers three dead bodies and four missing children. The book is structured into three perspectives and the story gets really chaotic along the way. So brace yourself for a bucket filled with twists. So before we dive into the podcast, we would like to explain the structure of it first. So Jet, please do the honors. So the way that The Family Upstairs is written, it's that it's written from three perspectives. Um, Two of them are written in the third person, while one of them is written in the first person. Um, as we are starting the book, we are made to believe that um, there isn't really any connection between these three different people who have separate storylines. But as the story develops and unfolds, uh, so do the paths of the three uh, storylines that we are following. And eventually, they all converge into one ending that's... I don't know how you would describe it. Uh, maybe it epic. Some people might say it, it's an epic ending. Um, it might be messy for some. It's it's definitely interesting, but uh, we'll get into that later on. So, yeah, that's essentially how the story is written and how the story unfolds. So, Mariana chose this book as um, for this week's review, and maybe we can get her thoughts on why she did why she chose this book for us to talk about on this podcast right now so we chose this for our genre de bana thriller three surefire ways to my heart a book has to be plot heavy it yeah. has different perspectives and uh-huh. the genre's mystery or thriller and that's basically yeah. it but of course yeah. this is just my preference so the genre the genre of books i enjoy the most and the family upstairs completes the list and although it's been rated 3.9 on goodreads i would have to give it uh-huh. a 4.5 as it was my favorite novel that i read last 2019 cuz i usually make a list and then of novels that i read for the year and then i list them down from favorite the least favorite and then the family yeah. upstairs happened to be my favorite that's why i picked it for thriller it's interesting that you mentioned the goodreads rating and how you gave it a higher rating because i checked google books it's actually rated 4.6 on google books ah. and it's rated 4.4 on amazon so okay. it's re- it's rated re- relatively high which made me second guess my rating for it <laughs> why um, what was your rating Okay, so I read this book. I think I think I finished reading it maybe three three weeks ago around that time, and I remembered I gave it a three point five. 
which was which is kind of low relative to how others are rating it. Are rating it, um, yeah. But as I reread my notes, I kind of figured out why I gave it that rating, and I am sure that I'll be able to justify why I gave it that rating that as rating. we move okay. on to this pod. So um, I think we can move on to our initial thoughts about the book. Uh, do you want to start with that? Maybe you can tell us why you liked it so much, aside from that it ticked all of your boxes. Yeah, well, you will figure out why I like it so much as we go along. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so this book was kind of culty for me. Yes. For the lack of a better term. It's culty, right? It's culty. There's no... no, Yeah, it is. It is. It really is. Something I find fascinating. You know, like, this is uh something I find interesting for a topic of a thriller novel. The psychology of cults, essentially. So, um, there's a perspective of this guy named Henry. And then, I'll I'll just mention... I think, yeah, it's okay to mention this. Henry is the... The kid that lives in the house. And uh-huh. we also get to hear his perspective. Right. So I would like to mention first how Henry was my favorite perspective because you get to see what happened then. Okay. Because this is like a then and now novel. Yeah. It's like <laughs> a backpack. There's a, there's a lot of flashback in the way Henry narrates the story. Yeah. Because he's telling us about the history of the house while the other two perspectives are... Telling us about the present, the present for the most of the book. Yeah. yeah. So the build-up leading to the suicide pact and what really happened in the Chelsea mansion. And to be completely honest with you, I wouldn't have mind if all I read was his perspective. Like if the book was just that. The uh-huh. entire book was just that. Everything that went on in the house. In the house, okay. It would have been perfect. Yeah. Like it would make Actually. a great story already. And I felt I like his perspective was the most well-written one of all uh-huh. like yeah. the the way a situation was described and the play of uh-huh. words and then the perspective i found that i mean the perspective that i didn't like so much was one of the present perspective which, which was one? the the kid the 20 not the kid the 25 year old girl who discovered that she was actually the heir of the mansion yeah. like i found her perspective I think she's the protagonist technically right I think yeah, it, supposed she's to supposedly be. the protagonist yeah i found that it was so stretched just to yeah. give her um you know like a story yeah. i will be talking more about it in in the spoiler, spoiler part of this pod yeah yeah, so the characters were fleshed out pretty well, each of them, that I have grown I think, to hate. Wait, hold on. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I think I know why you like um, Henry's perspective. I, why? Because it's his. That's the only one that's written in first person. Yeah, also that. Yeah. Of course, yeah. that's my bias. <laughs> so you get a really glimpse, in, a really good glimpse into his mind. Mine, exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> For our newbie listeners, Mariana tends to like books that are written in the first, first person. person. So. Yeah. Yeah, so go ahead. <laughs> So with the characters, I feel like they they were fleshed out pretty well. Uh-huh. That you will grow to hate one man who inserts himself in the house only to destroy it as well as yeah. his accomplice. So you get uh-huh. a pretty good glimpse for each one enough to get attached that you have a good picture in your head yeah. about each character. I think we could say um he he's the villain of the book and he's yeah. essentially like a the cult leader. Yeah. And what do you call this? He manages to break down an entire family and turn their entire dynamic over on its head and you know that's essentially the story of the entire book. 
in fairness to Lisa Jewell, she wrote one hell of a hateable character and one yes. hell of a villain. And I don't think anyone who read the book would ever have liked that, that person. Guy. And so kudos to her for making the villain so hateable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, while The Family Upstairs was definitely an interesting story, I feel like it really failed as a thriller. There weren't any parts where I felt like my blood was pumping or my heart was racing. Did you Did you get any parts where you no, felt that not way? not at all. Yeah. yeah, so I feel like on that front, it didn't really live up but to the thriller name. Is yeah. the genre thriller or mystery? Like, where did it's they more categorize- mystery. But where did they categorize it? I think it's classified as a thriller, but okay. um, it it reads more like an Agatha Christie novel without the whodunit aspects. Like yeah. you know who, like uh, it's not really like a detective novel, but there is a mystery uh, element it, yeah. to it. The pacing of the story was a little bit inconsistent. At first, everything was moving really slowly and methodically, and that's the price that you have to pay when you're writing from three different perspectives, because what you end up having to do is you write three foundations for three different stories. So naturally, at the start, it's going to be slow because you have to navigate your way through different story, three different storylines. But then it seemed like uh, the author just completely breezed through the ending. I feel like the mm-hmm. ending was way too rushed. And I'll explain why later on yeah, uh, when we get to the spoilers. Yes. I was okay with um, with what the ending was, but I didn't like how it ended, if that makes sense. Um, I felt yeah. cheated somewhat because I felt like the payoff wasn't as satisfying as I hoped that it would be, especially with specific characters. Um, they had very interesting setups that I feel weren't fully fleshed out, that weren't fully developed the way... M- maybe they weren't fully developed the way that I wanted them to yeah. be developed. And I never got closure for some characters. And I, w- I don't know if it was designed to be that way. Maybe it was intentional that maybe you're supposed to be kept on your seat. Maybe you're not supposed to get closure as the reader. But yeah. that's personally how I felt. The story did have a good premise, definitely. But I wish we could have spent more time developing that premise. Like, um, there are certain characters who we don't really get to know because we don't get their perspective of the story. Um, we'll get into that. I'll discuss that more in depth later on. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Yeah, because I wanted uh, to ask whose perspective yeah, did you wish right. was part. Yeah, so there are certain characters who we are introduced to, but we don't necessarily get to see their perspective on things. Lisa had a great idea here, but I feel like the execution just wasn't enough for me personally. She has a very distinct writing style that might appeal to some readers. I mean, given the ratings on Google and Amazon and, you know, Goodreads, I'm she appeals to a lot of readers. It's just, it's just not, it just wasn't for me. But there's also one particular thing about her storytelling that really frustrates me. She has a tendency to um, indulge in run-on sentences. Like, there are incredibly long paragraph-like writings, and then when yeah. you read it, it's like two sentences. <laughs> and I, I really hate it when writers do that. Uh, she also has a tendency to dwell on details that offer very little value to the story. Oh my um, god, yes. I, yeah. yeah, I would have to yeah. agree on that. She's also guilty of inserting too much of her own aggressive voice. Because, yeah, it's okay when you're writing in the first person. You can, you can always... Um, write in the voice of that person, of that character. But when you're writing in the third person, you're you're supposed to act as an observer, an impartial, unbiased observer who's mm-hmm. narrating what's happening. But what but the way that she wrote it, she inserted a lot of her own personal commentary as a narrator to the events, and it made me feel annoyed because it was almost like she was telling me 
how to feel and what to think instead of just telling me what happened. And I hate it when writers do that. I don't want writers to tell me how to think or how to feel about a story as it develops. I just want them to tell me the story and leave the rest up to me because that's part of the fun of being a reader. Yeah. And uh, it's called the show-don't-tell principle. You're supposed yeah. to show what's happening, but you don't necessarily have to tell, which we how can tell, delve deeper. Yeah. We can d- delve into deeper later on as we discuss the specifics. Um, it's Maybe a shame. She wanted because... it to be like super spoon feeding, you know. Yeah, some, uh, the, I know. Which makes this yeah. a super easy read. It does. <laughs> it does. I I understand how that yeah. appeals to certain readers, which is why I like you know yeah. I get it. There are people who really like books like that. It's just that's why I wanted to preface it by saying that it just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. It's a shame because she had a very solid story. I, I can't yeah. deny that it was a solid story. I wish she could have just dedicated a little more of her writing to building the characters towards the end a little better to make it more well-rounded mm-hmm. as opposed to just, you know, the overbearing commentary and, you know, as I said, the unnecessary writing in some parts. That being said, I'm sure that this is still a book with a substantial mass market appeal. Uh, I just don't think it's anything mind-blowing. Um, in other words, it's kind of meh for me. Uh, okay. But, you know, I'll give it a 3.5, which which I feel like isn't bad considering my standards. <laughs> Do you like this book better than um the previous book we just released? Which one? It ends with us. Yes. Do if I like were to choose better? to reread a book, I would choose this over It Ends With Us, yeah. Ah uh, yeah, same man, yeah. same. I read yeah. this twice already. This is my second time by the way. So Yeah. Okay, yeah, so maybe we could talk about who is this book for? I can recommend it to people who want to Oh my god, I keep saying this though, like for every podcast, but like like, I who just want to get into reading? People who yeah, just want to get into did reading. Did I say that for the Institute? <laughs> I think you did. Yeah, but like, I can recommend it to people who want to jumpstart on their reading hobby because it's so yeah. easy. It's so easy. And if you want like a story, like a heavy story, this is it already. So when well, you, it's, yeah, yeah, that's true. It's gripping. I mean, yes, yeah, I agree that, that it's, it's a very, very yeah. easy read. Lisa Jewell is, uh, wrote it for it. To be an easy read where you don't have yeah. to think anymore because she does it on behalf of you, uh, on for you. So she tells you what to think. So think. it's essentially just a, you. She does all of the work, and you just have to enjoy the story as it unfolds. So if you're that kind of reader, then yeah, definitely yeah. this book is for you. I would also recommend it to those kinds of people. Uh, again, uh, it it has great mass market appeal. Four point six on Google, four point four on Amazon. Those are those are really high ratings. So um, if majority of the people are are gonna like it, then I I guess you will. Yeah, I couldn't find any context or trivia about the book. Granted, I don't really put too much research into the, these things, but uh, I don't know if there are any movies that are being made or yeah. TV series that are being developed. I tried to look, but I couldn't find anything. Um, I, I don't think this book won any awards either, uh, which is weird because um, it's, it's so rated loud, so high. Huh? I guess I guess it's just one of those books that it, it's it's not critically adored, but it's adored by the mass market. It's adored yeah. by audiences. So, um, yeah, but I think it would make a good mini series at least. Yeah, book. yeah, uh, definitely not a movie, not a yeah, film. not a movie. That would be just because there are too many perspectives. I don't think a movie yeah, would work. Can, yeah, yeah, it won't. Yeah, it would be too overwhelming. Maybe a mini series. It would make a really good mini series, like a BBC mini series or HBO. People on HBO, BBC, if you're listening to us, you know, get on it. <laughs> um, so, like, how old would you? Me, I feel like if you're 15 years old. High schoolers, yeah. yeah. High schoolers and can up, get into it. No specific gender because it's very inclusive. There However, are there are uh, LGBT characters also. 
yes and there are themes of however there are themes of you know cult-like behavior and child what do you call what do you call it? underage sex yeah though. yeah so, so be wary of those um if ever you're a parent who's looking for for something, something for to, your kid yeah, to read child. <laughs> yeah so but they're, uh, high be wary school. Of they're supposed to like already know sex education or something that's right yeah um <laughs> okay so black yeah so and yeah I, I don't really have any trivia or context to share i'm sorry i have failed for the first time in this <laughs> pl- and this <laughs> in this podcast to share anything about this book yeah there's nothing i couldn't find anything so i think we can just uh cut our spoiler free portion of the book now unless you have anything else to share no i'm i'm down for the quotes now Okay, well, I mean, in any case, if you are someone who just likes to read casually, pick this book up. You're probably going to like it like most other people. Go to your nearest bookstore. They're probably going to have it in stock. So just pick it up, read it, enjoy it. And then, you know, listen to the next part of this podcast which with us which is the spoiler spoiler uh, spoiler spoiler portion. Yeah. So um, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. This concludes the spoiler-free portion of the episode. If you haven't read the book or if you plan on reading it in the future, then come back and join us for the conversation in the second part. And now we're back. So Hi. let's start with sharing our favorite quotes and then okay. we talk about um, our favorite moments and then our final thoughts. Okay, All I right, want to start. So... I have a quote from your favorite character, see Henry. Yeah, yeah, Henry's my favorite. Okay, yeah, I have a quote from Henry. Yeah, uh, I feel it's like it's really the funny. same. I feel like we're... It, gi- it gives us a glimpse into his sassy Okay, okay, persona. maybe it's not... It, we're not yeah. the same. I, I... I just thought it really funny. He said... Yeah. Um, Anyone who ignores the chatter of a woman is poorer by any measure. <laughs> and he said this when he was eavesdropping on uh, the rest of his family talking and during dinner because he wanted to get a, uh, a good idea of what was happening in his home. And so he says that quote. And then I was like, oh, Henry is kind of sassy. <laughs> so is. I just found it really funny. And I wanted to, I was like, it, this quote is good enough to for me to, to note it and write it down. So <laughs> I wrote it down. <laughs> yeah, but he's a funny character, but yeah, like the things. What do you like about Henry? Like, wh- wh- why do you th- why why is he your favorite character? You know why? Because he killed them. Oh, okay. He killed the bad. <laughs> no, 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 of course not. But like, out of the three, ha, huh, he had the yeah. most substance. I feel. Well, he had the most. Well, he was the most interesting. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, like, uh-huh. you know, like he actually. Um, maybe it's because he was also the next man in line. You know how, like, in a family, the man of the house. Yeah. So when when yeah. the when the man of the house is a compromise. Yeah, the second <laughs> yeah. person Has would to have to up. be the uh, the next guy in yeah. line. Like that's how society yeah. is. Sad, to, sad yeah. to say, but like, the ba- yeah. so he he stepped up and he right. did. A decent job, I feel. Uh huh. Um, uh, I have a completely different perspective of Henry, but we'll get into that later on. Uh, because I also have theories into how, like, how his mind worked, and I want to bring it. I want to okay. talk to you about it. So maybe you can share your quote next. So I've only listed two quotes. The first one I felt like this has to be said out loud for the snobs uh-huh. in the universe. And this includes movie snobs, music snobs, and all the other snobs. So okay. the scene goes like this. 
Henry meets this guy, Finn, who also lives in the house, and they talk about this specific book. Who Henry so, is obsessed with. Yeah. Finn is this <laughs> guy Henry has a huge crush on. So yeah. one goes, is it good? And then Finn replies, yeah. all books are good. That's not true, I said. I've read really ba- I've read really bad books. They weren't bad books, Finn countered patiently. They were books that you didn't enjoy. It's not the same thing at all. Any book that has been published is going to be a good book for someone. Yeah. So I had see, that so written down as one of that's my other one. So yeah. I mean, it's really <laughs> we, my pet peeve it, when people bash others for listening right, to mainstream right. music because yeah. their taste is always impeccable and always has to be someone you've never heard of or else you're right. meh. So right. I don't know. Just let people enjoy things. So that's why I yeah. felt like this quote had to be said. And yeah. for the impact it had on the storytelling, it was like one of the few instances where it makes Finn the more logical, enlightened one among the mm. two characters. And here's Henry yeah. continuously idolizing yeah. him, even on their yeah. first few encounters. Uh-huh. I think this is also Jewel's way of like meta commentary on the narratives the surrounding yeah. books in general and like how people talk about books and their own personal preferences. Yeah, yeah, and I completely agree. We don't all have to like the same things. The same, but that yeah. doesn't, I mean, like, we can but all like different things and it's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We can critique and everything and, you know, we should be open to those ideas. But, yeah, I mean, let other people like what they like. What as they long like. as they're not exactly. hurting anyone. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was also my other quote. So you stole it from me. Maybe we can move on to moments now. So yeah. um, do you want to open this category with anything or in particular? Do you want to change it up a bit uh, what do you want to do here so before we talk about our favorite moments in the book let me yeah. ask you this question uh-huh. what was the biggest because this book is filled with twists i yeah. would say so what yeah. was your biggest wtf moment definitely my biggest shocking moment the one that i never saw coming was the big reveal about david not being the dad not being libby's dad and finn being the actual dad I, is that your biggest shocker moment? Because I have to say, I have to be honest, I was slightly disappointed in Jewel because yeah, she she wrote the um, Lucy character in a way that like she never mentions her name. There's no mention of Lucy's real name as she's yeah. writing her perspective on the book. But you can kind of get the sense that she's that girl in the house. She's she's Henry's sister. Yeah, right. And so like in my mind, I was like. Oh, Jewel's trying to hide this little detail, but I'm I'm smart enough to know that you know this is yeah. actually Lucy, and and then <laughs> my overconfident self gets you know my uh, shocked with this whole like subversion of my expectations. But okay, but did you know that David's not the dad, and that it's actually Finn? And then I'm like, what? <laughs> and, then, and then that was like, okay, Lisa Jewel, uh, well played, well played on your part. I guess. It, well, it wasn't really a. Uh what the fuck moment I would say uh-huh. but I guess this was something I didn't see coming or maybe I just didn't pay attention to okay, but well. I never saw it coming when Lucy the sister killed her abusive husband in the near end of the book but this was also <laughs> mentioned in a time where a lot of twists were unfolding so when yeah. you read this part you're not as shocked as you should be because you're still trying yeah. to digest the previous twist yeah. but, but like I don't know like 
did she have But she to... was thinking about it, right? She was already thinking about... Was she, wasn't she already thinking? I, I, I got the sense like she was already planning it subliminally that she would have to defend herself against him or whatever, or prepare herself for I thought she that was just, moment. I thought like the preparation she was talking about was just having sex with a guy. Right, maybe it was that. Maybe I was just reading into it. But, but yeah. like, I never like. You never expected her to like to actually kill, kill him. Like to actually, but but she didn't. She herself didn't expect herself and it's really to kill. Fu- it, yeah, that's right. And it's really funny in that moment because yeah. she stabs him, and then she thinks for for a brief moment, like, should I call uh the co- the authorities? Like, should I yeah. call for an ambulance? And then she says, "You know what? No, I'm just gonna let you die." <laughs> like, I love that. Like, it was just really, I don't know. Was it out of character for you? Like, uh, you, that's why you didn't see it coming. Like, it was this. It wasn't I, I something guess, you expected her to do. I guess it was like out of character in that part. But there's nothing to lose, to be honest, because right. of her situation. There's nothing right. to lose, you know. Yeah. As sad as yeah. it sounds, Lucy never did anything. Like, she never stood up for anything when she was still at the house. So I found it like. Why? Why would you yeah. kill your husband and you never did anything back in the day? So because she's such a passive, like seemingly meek and weak uh, lady who just lets yeah. bad things happen to her. That's why her life ended up that way, right? It's kind of a shocker that she took. I mean, her her husband's life it's into like... her own hands, literally. Yeah. Um, there's actually an interesting about interesting thing about Lucy's yeah. dog that I want to bring up. Uh, the dog's name is Fitz, and it's a reference yeah. to. My favorite character, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, who's probably, yeah, who's probably, whose most popular book is probably The Great Gatsby, which also happens to be one of my favorite books. So in the ending of Great Gatsby, there's actually a case of mistaken identity, which is a foreshadowing of the case of mistaken identity that we find out in the twist of this book, wherein we thought that it was David who was the dad and it turned out to actually be Finn. So I, I found yeah. that I found that reverence to F. Scott Fitzgerald very charming and I was I I liked I like just because I'm a big F. Scott fan and So can you make the rating three point seven now? Alright, I'll do it <laughs> just for of that. that. <laughs> and I I mean she knows her she she knows where to pay respects because it's it's also I feel like as I was reading it, it was very heavily influenced a lot also by Agatha Christie's yeah. writing. I don't know if you've mm. read like, the Christie books before, but I got I a lot know. of her vibe while reading Lisa Jewels, uh, while reading The Family Upstairs, and there was some influence there also. Okay. So she pays homage to these great writers. So in fairness to Lisa Jewell. I want to ask you something first, sorry, yeah. um, before you bring anything up. Well, how did you feel about Libby and Miller, the guy we're introduced to, the journalist man? I actually, um, who supposedly helps her out. What do you feel about their romantic entanglement? You know, that's part of the what we didn't like, se- what right. we don't like <laughs> segment. Because yeah. that was yeah. one thing that I really do not uh-huh. approve of. Like, that was yeah. so unnecessary. Like, why was yeah. that even part? It was so forced. Yeah, like, like it was so forced. why? What for? I don't know. I, don't I feel know. like maybe Jewel just wanted to incorporate some level of romance in this book because there wasn't any. But I feel like it didn't really need it. It was so unnecessary. Yeah. It just felt weird. You know, it was so unnatural. And I don't know. I just, I didn't like that, that and choice. There was no that she spark. Made. There wasn't. There was, no spark. There was, there was nothing there was interesting. Nothing, like, Maybe it's just because they're boring people. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. But, both um, of them are like uninteresting characters. But. Oh. Yeah, but I, I didn't like it. They could have just stayed friends. That would have been okay with me. 
the age gap also i feel right? like right there's it, an age gap yeah like okay yeah, like, <laughs> i mean like she's supposedly this strong independent woman character like she's made out to be that way yeah, right it doesn't so, make um, sense. I, I expected her to i don't know want a better kind of guy i don't know that's very superficial of me to say but yeah uh <laughs> I just found it really weird. Same. Okay, yeah. so going back to favorite moments. So, of course, my favorite moment in the book was when Henry poisoned everybody and beat Birdie to death because I was so enraged by David Thompson and Birdie that I wanted to do it myself. But uh-huh. but for this part, I want to highlight how both genders were crucified in a way. Like, it wasn't just, you know, pinning the fault to one specific gender like both comments coming from two straight men and they're both telling a gay teenager about it so here's a scene the father tells henry this um this is the part where they were in the club okay yeah i remember that yeah. like the gentleman's gentleman's club, club yeah. yeah so after henry was complaining about his mom the father mm-hmm. goes and here take my advice Never marry a woman. They might look good, but they destroy you. And then in another scene, his housemate, Finn, the guy he's obsessed with, tells yeah. Henry, all men are weak. That's the whole bloody trouble with the world. Too weak to love properly. Too weak to be wrong. So yeah, I feel like those were two of the truest statements mentioned in the perfect moment, making it powerful. You know, uh-huh. like it wasn't just yeah. blaming women all the way because, like, it could have tipped there. Yeah. Now that you mention it, there's a lot of gender commentary in yeah. this book. Um, now I'm just realizing. Um, I mean, it touches on sexual identity also with yeah. with um, with Henry's character, and yeah, I never realized that until now. Oh, um, I didn't find this interesting, but like, it's just like a question that needs to be uh-huh. addressed. Why did he have to lie about being Finn? Like, you know, like that whole thing right. where he invited Libby and Miller Rowe to his flat yeah. and pretended to be Finn. Like, what was yeah. that about? I think we're made to believe that he's so obsessed with Finn that he transformed himself into Finn. Like, he dyed his hair. Uh, he changed his to nose. Be, to be, yeah, and he got plastic surgery to look like Finn. I, I think it's just a, a manifestation of his obsession with this boy who was in his life like many, many years ago and he has never, he has never hasn't seen since. Um, it also, I want to, I, I like that you brought that up because it, it casts a shadow of doubt over everything that Henry has said up until that point because Henry is the only first person narrator in this book. So everything that he says comes from his perspective. Yeah. And then when we find out that he lies about being Finn, you're forced to wonder as a reader, what, what else did he, he lie about? about as he was telling the story to me? Like, uh, did things really happen the way that he told it or like the way that he said that they happened? So I, I thought like that was a very interesting layer yeah. to his character. But that being said... Um, I feel like we never really got any answers about present day Henry. Like, why did he need to put tracking devices in Libby's and Miller's phones? Do you remember that he did that? Yeah, so that they won't lose the baby ever again. Yeah, and then they're okay with it. Like, in the end, they're just like, they're friends. And I don't know, it's kind of weird how 
I wouldn't be okay with that. Like if I meet yeah. a stranger and then they drug me and then and then yeah, or, all those and then they 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 plant and then they lie about putting tracking devices in my phone. I don't know. I I found it weird how they were all just friends in the end and like they were all casually having dinner and uh, yeah. talking about um what's his name Finn who is in Africa who fulfilled his dream of becoming a uh, wildlife tour guide. <laughs> but I feel like we were all just. <laughs> waiting for that to happen because Lucy was like they just waited for her to be 25 years old and that's where the reunion happens so I guess okay. that's why it it ended the way it ended it, it kind of ends about on a cliffhanger too because they're talking about the idea of actually going to Africa and visiting Finn so yeah. he can meet Libby for the first time his daughter and then um, in Henry's mind, he thinks like, "Do you have room for one more?" So it like it kind of makes you think like, "Oh, what's his plan? What's this guy gonna do when he meets Finn?" So, yeah, it, uh, Lisa left it on a little cliffhanger there, and I guess that's part of the closure that I wasn't able to get because yeah. I feel like he should never. He's such a weirdo. <laughs> He's a very disturbed boy. He's a very disturbed man. He has some serious problems. Like, you can tell. I can tell that he's killed some people even after he killed his parents. Like, he's probably <laughs> killed some people along the way. Like, he's that kind of guy. Um, there are actually some people who... Because in the, in the book, we're made to believe, like, it was an accident. Yeah. Right? Like, he accidentally poisoned his parents and uh, David. Do you think that he really killed them for real? I don't think so. You don't think he did it on purpose? Mm, no. Really? Because uh, he 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 already tested it out with the cat, and then he knew that the cat died. And then uh, I I feel like he did it on purpose, and then he just said he just told them that like, oh no, I didn't know that this would happen. Cause how come like how come he didn't do it sooner? Like how come he killed his parents too? Like why didn't he just kill? Both Birdie and David Thompson. No, I feel like at that point his parents were lost. His were were practically lost. His dad was like a vegetable practically, and his mom was so obsessed with David. So they were like beyond helping. So, and I don't know. He's he's a really weird guy. I mean, he cut off the cat's tail and he slept with it and he kept it as like a souvenir. Like, yeah, that's something a killer would do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I just. I feel like he killed them on purpose. Um, I, that at least that's what I was made to feel like. It's it's interesting to think that uh, to know that you don't think that he killed them on purpose. Oh, also he's a chronic liar. He has a history of lying. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what what would make you think that he wasn't lying about killing? Um, yeah, killing them. But you know, like I didn't really care, nah. As long as they're gone, <laughs> like okay, whatever. You were just happy that yeah, David like, finally died. bye. I also had a problem, which reminds me, I also had a problem with, not with the way that Birdie died, but with the way that they handled it. How they just left her body <laughs> in, like, the apartment? Or the they, they were kept her the... in, in... in, like, the some he kind went of, like... back to mummify her or something? Right. So, the, her body has essentially been lying there. How come no one had, no one ever found it? No authorities ever found it? When they, the were... they transferred her body? Did they? I, I, don't I don't remember. Know. I forgot. Yeah. Now. I'll check also. For, I, I I don't think she, they ever did. I feel like I, from what I remember, they left her body in some kind of like hidden ass part of the up of the um, attic of their house. I yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll have to review that. Um, yeah. So, what other parts did you like? 
or we want to talk about. Okay. Um, I I have two specific scenes that I want to bring up that that I want to like uh illustrate to justify why I gave it such a relatively low rating. You don't want to put so, that in what we didn't like. Oh, I I was thinking that we could go there now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure, sure, Unless sure. you have anything else. Yeah. Okay. So this first one, this first scene that I want to bring up, it's actually when Lucy is with Michael and she's ready to pick up the passports okay. um, from him to, so that she could escape with the kids. And, you know, he cook, he makes lunch for her and they're having drinks and stuff. Yeah. And then um, this is how the conversation goes. Lucy says, I need to get back to the kids soon. Oh, says Michael lightly. Marco's a big boy. He can look after his little sister a while longer. Yes, sure, but Stella gets a little anxious when she's not with me. She sees his jaw twitch a little. Now that for me is enough. Like when when Lisa Jewell writes, she sees his jaw twitch a little, that already tells me that Michael's upset about what she said, that Michael doesn't like what he heard. But no, Lisa doesn't stop there. She goes on and she says, Michael does not like to hear about weakness in others. He abhors it. So like... I, I already knew that, Lisa. Like, you didn't have to spell that out for me. Yeah, because um, he... Yeah. Yeah, because she, she already said that his jaw twitched a little. That's enough. That's enough of a signal to let me know that he was uncomfortable with what uh, she said. Yeah. Like, you didn't have to spell it out for me. And there are many instances like that within this book. And it's it just frustrated the heck out of me every time that I read them. You can show me by telling me that his jaw twitched a little, but you don't have to, to tell, tell me you, that he's yeah. upset because I got that on my own. And uh, I don't know. It's just a really big pet peeve that I have as a writer. So there's this other scene wherein Miller, the journalist who's helping Libby figure out all of the questions about uh, the history of the house, they're talking about Birdie, who's like this musician-y yeah. character who, who introduces David into the house. And then Birdie had a boyfriend named Justin who was like a, who plants herbs and is essentially like a plantito yeah, yeah, character yeah. in the house. Yeah. Who teaches so, um, Henry also. Right. So take note that this is this 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 part of the book is written in Liv- from Libby's perspective, but in the third person. So there's like yeah. an there's supposedly a, an an omniscient narrator. So it says, so she asks, and what about her boyfriend Justin? And then Miller answers, nothing. A couple of mentions of him during his brief phase as a percussionist on the two original version hit singles, but nothing else. Libby pauses to absorb this. Like if Lisa stopped there, that would have been enough for me because that would that would have allowed me to like wonder about what Libby was thinking at that moment. But no, Lisa continues. She says, how can it be possible for people to slip off the edge of existence like that? How can it be possible for no one to notice? And again, she's doing the thinking on my behalf by inserting herself through these. I feel unnecessary commentary, even though she's just supposed to serve as a unbiased impartial narrator i feel like in inserting comments like these take the fun out of out of the reading experience because i'm i'm no i'm no i don't have to think about what the characters are going through anymore it's because she's just telling me what's happening what like what's going on in their minds and i don't know it's so it's it's, so it like bore you it bores me yeah because it takes the fun out of it and uh that's just the kind of reader that i am and i know not everyone reads like me so that's fine um but yeah it's just that's i'm just trying to justify why i didn't give it a good score um and i know that there are other people who read the same way as me so yeah that's essentially it 
do you have anything else you want to talk about? Stuff you didn't like? Stuff that you like? So, what yeah. I didn't like was how there was a Miller Rowe, Serenity Lamb love story injected as mentioned. So, it was so uh-huh. uncalled for. Yeah. And I found her perspective to be very stretched out just so we can hear the side of the of of Libby. So it was yeah. not as interesting as the other two. Yeah, that's and true. Another example Which is weird because she's supposed to be the protagonist. Protagonist, too, exactly. Right? It seemed yeah. like it was Henry it like it's like Henry took over yeah. the entire book. And then yeah. another example you were saying how there were so many unnecessary parts in the book that we didn't did you mention but like that's how yeah, I yeah, felt yeah. like, like I, there I were, said, were I a lot that. of yeah. unnecessary moments another example would be when she talks about her rich best friend and there was like this whole picture oh, yeah. describing Dido I found that <laughs> yeah. part unnecessary but maybe the author also that she had wants a best friend. yeah see forgettable she added nothing to the story she added exactly. nothing to the story but maybe the author also wanted to flesh out her character but it was really a no for me like you know like she could have value. asked the question to her lawyer you know like she didn't need a best friend like Mer- yeah oh my goodness yeah yeah i think it was just like her way of humanizing the libby the, character but what, i don't know it, it didn't really add any depth to her to character her, exactly in any like, way. It was so, yeah but I liked her, but I guess ugh. she's kind of meh. She's yeah. kind of bland. <laughs> Who? <laughs> she's really cares? bland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One thing yeah. I found the saddest was whenever Henry would talk about his dad losing his grip of being the man of the house, and how uh-huh. he felt so unprotected because at the same time he was losing himself. And this struck me because I love my dad so much that I can't ever imagine oh. him losing himself just because of another man in the picture who takes yeah. away his power and this is yeah. and this is why I have pure hatred for David Thompson because God forbid yeah. if it happened to me I would have finished him off early on like <laughs> you would have Henryed him way earlier way early on like <laughs> my god like week yeah. one he's dead yeah. yeah I love how this book is so realistic but being presented in another manner because there will be parasites in your life who will want to take over and you just have to make sure mm. to get your power back early on yeah because cults are a real thing. It's not like yeah. people like David don't exist. And it's not like they don't wreak havoc on the lives of other people because they do. Wait, I, I want to ask you a question, Mariana, because this book is written in multiple perspectives. So we get Libby, we get Lucy, we get um, Henry. If you could add one more perspective, if you could hear from one more character, who would it be? David Thompson. Really? You wanted yep. to hear his perspective on the book. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, why? What? What? How do you feel that would have played out? I mean, like, like why he's evil? Yeah, but like, but like, he's just a con artist. He's not really right. a cult leader or whatever. Yeah, because he doesn't really believe the stuff be, that yeah. he's. He says uh, like he, he's just he eats. He eats all of the food. He has a lot of shoes, like, and he bars everyone else from having shoes. And <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really practice what he preaches. Yeah, I, that's interesting. I wouldn't have. That wouldn't have been my answer, but I guess now that you said it, I would also want to hear His side. David's see David's perspective on things. But the person I'm really interested in, uh, I feel like Lisa could have written uh, the perspective from is Henry's dad, especially when he was oh, in a, like a vegetative state. You like know he, that would be so sad, heartbreaking. Yeah. 
So it's physically, be he can't do anything. Physically, yeah. he can't do anything. But it still, it still would have been interesting to see the stuff that was going on in his mind and how he was seeing things unfold and how he felt about everything. I don't know. Maybe it would have made for a really long book and it would have been really hard to resolve that narrative with that kind of um, perspective. But I feel yeah. like it would have been interesting at the very least to see things from Henry's dad's perspective on what was happening to his family and the collapse of his entire life. Yeah. Mariana, I know, I already know this, but um, when it comes to book preferences, yeah. um, would you prioritize interesting characters or a really compelling plot? Compelling plot. Right. And I think that's what The Family Upstairs um, was able to Has, deliver. Yeah. It's a very compelling plot, despite having most of the characters as bland. Bland. Ex- ex- except, except for, for David Henry. And, and Henry. Yeah, except for David and Henry, essentially. Yeah, they were fleshed uh, out well, but yeah. there were characters that you don't really feel sad about. Like, you know how Lu- Lucy's situation is pretty sad? Like, yeah. from hand to mouth. Is that what you say? Yeah. Hand to mouth. Yeah. But, like, we don't really, like, empathize with her. Yeah. And there's another person that we haven't even brought up in this pod, and she played a major role in that house, and that's Clemency, Finn's sister. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it's another example of just, like, See, another black character who just happened to be there. Yeah. And, like, uh, yeah. I mean, in terms of character depth, this book didn't really do so well, except for, maybe, I mean, except for Henry, because he's the most interesting character. And, um... But in terms of plot, yeah, this uh, if you're the kind of reader who really adores uh, interesting twists and turns and, you know, plot yeah. twists and stuff like that, you would really like The Family Upstairs. Yeah, so maybe we can s- sum up this review with our final thoughts. Um, the Family Upstairs is definitely a very ambitious book. It's not easy having to write three different perspectives, three different storylines, um, yes. only to have them all converge in the end. It was a very challenging feat for Lisa Jewell, and she did the best that she could. This is why most writers tend to stick to just writing one or maybe at most two perspectives when uh, developing a story for a novel. Very few writers are able to effectively execute multi-plot novels. Um, one author comes to mind who is who I feel is very good at executing multi-plot novels, and that's Kent Haruf. Yeah. If you haven't read any of his works, um, I suggest you to read either Benediction or Plain Song. They're both by Kent Haruf. They're both the same structure. It's written in three different perspectives, and all of these storylines somehow um, are connected and intertwined towards the end, and you realize that there's a connection between these characters. I haven't found a writer that executes this kind of storytelling better than him. So if you're a fan of that kind of storytelling, I recommend his books. And they're fairly easy reads as well. But that being said, I, I don't mean to say that Lisa Jewell is not a good writer. She's a very good writer. Um, She yeah. wouldn't get this kind of recognition and fame if she wasn't. I just feel like the book just didn't do it for me. There were just too many stuff. Of, there were just too many parts of it that, you know, uh, I couldn't get past the run on sentences, the lazy dialogue, the unnecessary commentary, the the show don't tell, you know, everything. Um, I feel like she could have spent more time on other characters. Maybe the lamb parents. I don't know much about them, um, even though 
they're they, they could have been very interesting characters. Uh, I I wanted to know more about present day Henry, what he what he's been up to throughout that span ever since he left the house. Um, all in all, I didn't I didn't end up hating the book. It was still a fairly entertaining novel. I want to make that clear. It's very entertaining, but um, it wasn't life changing. It wasn't life altering either. So that's why you know I, I gave it a three point seven. Okay, so I think that does it for our review of The Family Upstairs. So if you enjoy this podcast, please do subscribe. Um, It really helps uh, push our podcast to newer audiences. Also, you can rate us on the Apple Podcasts. If you like us, um, give us a five-star rating. That would really help also. Um, Also, if you have any book recommendations that you want us to review... Yeah, please message us hesitate. on Instagram. Yeah, maybe uh, Fiction Friends PH on Instagram. You can find us there. Message us. Tell us what books you want us to cover, and uh, maybe we'll think about it. Maybe we can even have you on the pod as a guest. Yeah, uh, if if you if you want. Uh, again, we're here to make friends. So, Mariana, you want to close? Say goodbye to everyone. Bye, guys. <laughs> yeah, don't forget <laughs> right. to follow us on our socials at yeah. Mariana G. Varela on Instagram and. I am at JetDuga on Instagram and we'll talk to you next week on our next episode. Are we going to reveal the book? No. No, because uh, no, okay, you no. might stay change tuned. your mind. Right, oh, no, 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 no. What? For next week, uh-huh. we have a special guest joining us. That's oh, the surprise. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's the surprise. Yeah. Um, it's not a surprise it's anymore because now you know. We get a like, new friend. Fiction Friends gets a yeah, new friend. Yeah, gets a new friend. <laughs> yeah okay so we hope you tune in next week for that episode yeah. so we'll talk to you then bye guys bye